You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Welcome back, Poison Pals. If you are listening to this, hopefully you already listened to part one and are fully equipped to continue on this journey of MK Ultra with us. We talked about the entire project, what it was, and honestly, the terrifying history around it. And now we're going to dive into the life of a man who's actually living through it. Dr. Frank Olson, he was a scientist working on Project Artichoke on the LSD mind control experiments. And he got a little bit of a conscience while working on an experiment that involved drugging normal U.S. citizens unknowingly with LSD. Of course, that didn't sit well with his colleagues at the CIA. So this is the story of what happened to Dr. Frank Olson. Megan, what did you what did you think or what do you remember? Because it's been a while for this episode. I feel like I remember most of it um the one thing i was gonna say actually was i know in this episode you asked me if i've ever watched wormwood yeah and i still have not to this day <laughs> same, watched it <laughs> same same um as much as i love peter sarsgaard um i still have not seen it um, yeah and i think my critique in the episode is something like i don't like when tv shows do like a mix of real documentary with like reenactments and i'm yeah. just like just give me a full-on reenactment or a full-on documentary i cannot yeah. do both because then <laughs> I, I just can't enjoy it so sorry true Peter, sorry, um but that is all to say the story is something like olsen is in his hotel room and he quote unquote jumps but mm-hmm. then there's conspiracy slash lots of evidence pointing to the fact that like how can a man jump through a fully glass window right a fully closed glass window closed, at closed glass window exactly like that would be a lot of force um so there's theory slash I don't want to ruin it for those who haven't yeah, listened. But show. there's theory of CIA involvement. Or is it the mm-hmm. FBI? CIA. CIA. Probably is- all of the things. All, all the of above. the three okay. name acronyms. The FDA yeah. too. The DEA. Why not? Man. Throw them in there. Olson. Olson had a target <laughs> on his back for He's sure. A popular man. No, but in all seriousness, it is very sad. <laughs> it's very tragic. I was chuckling also because when you said that he jumped through a fully closed glass door, I was like, the only way that would have been possible, I'm imagining like a cartoon where it's just like a, it, his body is like in the, you know, like the like a silhouette of his body is like through the glass and it's just the shattering of his body. In there. <laughs> Perfectly outlined. It's the perfect yeah, outline. Yeah. That did not happen. So, you know, clearly something's amiss, let's just say. The one thing I'll say about, I think one of my favorite parts about this particular episode is there's a moment, this is not really a spoiler for you guys, but there's a moment where Dr. Olson gets invited with his uh, other MKUltra colleagues because something to note about this time about MKUltra is it was a top, 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 top secret experiment. It was Mm -hmm. top secret investigation or project that was going on. So the the number of people who were in the know of this was very small. And Mm. Dr. Frank Olson was part of that group. So whoever was part of that whole shindig got invited to some chalet by a lake on the East Coast. And they all get together and just, you know, guys shooting the shit, whatnot. And I remember we like came up with this whole ambiance, this whole scene, this whole scenery of this like 1960s scenery, 1950s rather scenery of like, shag rug i mean maybe that's more 70s but i think i'm thinking shag rug carpets everyone's drinking cigars having some brandy or whiskey and it was the whole thing so we had some fun with it too Ooh, and fun fact in this episode at the end in your antidote this i don't know if you started it on this day but basically this episode is the first time you mentioned that you start go you recently started going to therapy <laughs> So that was like, I think that's a big thing too. So I was that like, was in a big terms thing. of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, also I was go- I was gonna say I was like I'm I'm kind of chuckling to myself. I was like I really was sharing, I- and not that I shouldn't be sharing <laughs> with you guys. I love sharing, but I was like, damn, I was really open myself up, and I was yes. I told Megan I have since 
gone through two therapists since then. So that tells you how much time has passed. But hey, that is the whole journey of therapy and mental health is you're, you're, it's like being in a relationship. It's often not going to be the first person that you meet. Right, so right. it is a process. But I can yeah. say growth has happened. I am currently <laughs> coming full circle. I have now found a therapist for the last like five, six months now since January, I think, who has been phenomenal. I love her. She's fantastic. What a blessing. Everything yeah. is good in the world. That's <laughs> so that, awesome. That. Yeah. So so if you guys were curious where she's where Harini's at on her therapy journey since <laughs> yeah. we recorded the MK Ultra part two, mm-hmm. that's the there update you for you. Love it. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the episode, guys. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right. On to the rest of the episode. What's up? We are back. We are back for a part two, the first part two, our seven episode history. (laughs) It's okay. History in the making here. (laughs) Yes. History in the making. That that is correct, Megan. Also, it's been, I thought we were going to have like a cool spell. And then all of a sudden, it just got really, really hot mm-hmm. again. And all mm-hmm. all of the ants are now coming out to play. I don't know if... Are you having <laughs> ants, Megan? <laughs> uh, my house has what we call perma-ants. It doesn't matter what the weather is. We just always have ants. And what's weird about these ants is that they're not like your traditional kind of black, mid-sized, oh, small really? <laughs> ants. They're, they're like... They're like extra tiny. And they're like slightly beige. Huh. Like a little bit like golden color and they just will not die (laughs) no matter how many traps we put out (laughs) so we just kind of welcome them as like uh the third pet to the household just just (laughs) (laughs) that's so bizarre i've never i've never heard of that type of ants before i just remember like one time in college we all went to visit our friend Issa in florida right we all went to miami for spring break but uh (laughs) we went to miami and her backyard is literally on a swamp. Yeah. It's right next to like a swampland. You can literally, I've seen alligators just like right, chilling right. in the lagoon, just like floating by. Anyways, there are a bunch of those red hot ants there. And so those are the ones you got to really watch out for because those will eat you alive. Oh, yeah, they will. <laughs> I'm just thinking, what's that one disappointment of a film? What? Ants? Uh, sorry, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. It's like the last installment of the Indiana Jones oh. series. Oh, yeah. Well, like, with, Is that the one with like Shia LaBeouf and Where the Harrison and Ford is yeah, like yeah, a yeah. grandpa of Shia LaBeouf, but they have like a fire ant scene. We're just going way out here. <laughs> That's okay. You know, if we're just going to go on tangents, I, I triggered my own memory right now, but <laughs> there are rumors afoot that fuck what is his name the the national treasure guy nicholas cage nicholas cage yes yes yeah. yes nicholas cage is supposed to be playing the main guy in tiger king in a live like action movie or something oh yeah that news happened when tiger king was still in its heyday of 3 oh. months of popularity <laughs> Yeah. And I honestly question why we would even make a movie about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that was just something to make people wet their pants or whatever. <laughs> but if he does, if they do come out with a film about that and Nick Cage is yeah, yeah. Joe Exotic, I mean, I won't lie. I I might watch. I might just watch. <laughs> I 100% agree. I was like, do we even need this anymore? I feel like the sparkle of it has faded quite considerably but you know right here right. we are anyways, anyways okay well thank you all for listening <laughs> to our six degrees of topics where we just <laughs> tangent 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 our chit chatter yep harini because this is a two-parter episode it is a mm-hmm. continuation from last week it is harini's turn still yes to pick her poison hell yeah it is and i i feel like we keep forgetting to reiterate what this podcast is about so this is a true crime and toxicology podcast with a dash of hilarity as you have just witnessed (laughs) so (laughs) continuing forward okay so like megan said this is a two-parter a special two-part episode and for those of you who forgotten or need a refresher on what last week's episode was about Mm -hmm. it was about the infamous mind control project in the united states during Mm-hmm. The 1950s, spanning all the way to the early 1970s, called MK Ultra, that used LSD to potentially 
brainwash and mind control people. So a lot has come out. A lot of there's been a lot of long lasting impacts that came out of MK Ultra, definitely. And there's so many stories I can choose from. But when I was doing my research, this was the story that consistently popped up. And so that's the story I want to tell today. Without further ado, the story I'm going to be talking about today is the murder of Frank Olson. Ooh, okay. Okay. And so before I jump in, of course, give credit where credit's due, sources. So I got sources from a article called From Mind Control to Murder by The Guardian. I got information from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, a suit planned over death of man CIA, uh, written by James Risen or Risen from the New York Times, and then our tried and true friend, Wikipedia. Okay, so background history of our Frank Olson. So Frank Olson was born on July 17th, 1910 in Hurley, Iron County, Wisconsin. He went to college at the University of Wisconsin, where he earned a bachelor's, and then eventually a PhD in bacteriology, which is super, super cool. And then he went on to marry and have three lovely children. Around the time that World War II began, Olson served as a captain in the U.S. Army Chemical Corps, which I did not know was an actual thing. Uh, And then he was later recruited to Camp Detrick. So just as another refresher, Camp Detrick was basically ground zero for all things MKUltra. So he was recruited to Camp Detrick directly by one of the top scientists there by the name of Ira Baldwin. And Baldwin also happened to be one of Olson's departmental advisors while Olson worked at the University of Washington at UW. And so... While at Camp Detrick, Baldwin worked closely with chemical industrial partners like George W. Merck, also known as the founder of the biotech and large pharmaceutical company called Merck that we know today. And Olson was put to work on looking at applying modern technologies to these, you know, biological warfare, such as using aerosolized anthrax. That was a big portion of what he did in the early days. And at this time, Olson was just a civil employee of the government at Detrick. But soon after, he was officially employed by the CIA. And in May of 1952, Olson was put on the committee for Project Artichoke, also known as MKUltra. Why is it called Artichoke? <laughs> so, I just got to know. That does seem interesting to me. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's something I should have looked more into. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Also, is it? Wait, I, I was just... <laughs> Okay, you go. Go for it, go for it. No, no, you go. (laughs) My brain goes, why is it called artichoke? And then I'm thinking about how you eat an artichoke. And you eat an artichoke by peeling the layers back. Yes, yes. And I'm thinking maybe when you give people LSD forcibly, Mm -hmm. you're peeling peeling the Mm -hmm. layers of their mind and their experience. (laughs) That's literally, that's literally what I was thinking. Okay, cool. So we're on the same wavelength there. Yeah, kind of clicked right after I asked. Yeah, same same Doja Cat wavelength. Yeah. (laughs) No, my question, that phrase makes no sense. It's just something I say. Um, (laughs) So Olsen grew into that role and eventually became head of the special ops division. So doing, Mm. doing pretty well for himself. Then we're thinking about like what what time we're in. So again, we're in during the Cold War, 1953. At this time, basically in the earliest stages of MK Ultra, there were Chinese broadcasts that started to report that the U.S. was conducting these secret germ warfare against North Korea, and this was information that was directly extracted from two American pilots that they had captured. Then more of these stories start to come out from these prisoners of war that are saying, yes, the United States is doing biological warfare against North Korea. And so the U.S. government obviously is like super peeved about this. So they end up actually charging these American prisoners of war with treason for even cooperating with their captors, which is, you know, like horrible. And later, these prisoner of war soldiers were forced to make these statements once they came back on U.S. soil, saying that they were coerced and forced under torture to say these statements. And eventually, on July 27, 1953, we had the Korean Armistice Agreement that was signed. And so the Korean War kind of fizzles out at that point. The same day, Olsen arrives in the UK. I believe it's reported to be for vacation. He went there for work under the pretenses of vacation, I think, because it was supposed to be like this secret clandestine trip. Mm. Investigators found from his home movies from that trip that he had traveled to London, Paris, 
Stockholm and Berlin. Also, I just want to quickly say, like, I love that they found his home movies. <laughs> like, that's, like, what you had to do back in the day. Like, you have your pictures or you're literally, like, taking videos with, like, your big-ass, like, video <laughs> <Right>. camera. <laughs> and upon his return, Olsen was notably different in his mood and otherwise, and according to his family. So he was seemed more depressed. Like, he seemed more agitated. Definitely different. And a co-worker, and this is all information coming way later after the fact, a co-worker of Olsen's at the time said that while he was abroad in Europe, he had witnessed these interrogations and became convinced that the U.S. had indeed used biological warfare during the Korean War, just like those American prisoners of war had said. These interrogations led by the U.S. government were so brutal that Olsen witnessed many people being killed during these interrogations. And these interrogations were typical MK Ultra style, where they just drugged these people, drugged the people that the CIA viewed to be expendable subjects. So your spies, your moles, security leaks, and the like were interrogated to death with a MK Ultra magic mix of LSD torture and electroshock therapy to break their subjects to tell them the truth gosh <laughs> and so cocktail of just yeah it's, it's just i i just chuckle at the electrotherapy part i'm like that's just the cherry on top isn't it let's just sprinkle in some electroshock therapy <laughs> right and that's an interesting thing i don't know what it is about history but i feel like if you show any signs of just like not being normal the answer is electroshock therapy <laughs> throughout history it's like here you go i know here you go. it's whatever society deems to be normal i guess i literally just watched for the first time in my life and i know i'm behind mm -hmm. on the on watching the oldies and the classics <laughs> but i did just watch one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh with jack mm -hmm. nicholson and they you know obviously use electroshock therapy but it was just kind of a fascinating thought or yeah, yeah. to reflect on the fact that we really use electroshock therapy in that way and i recognize that it's still used but like in a more safer controlled way i don't really know mm -hmm. the mechanics of it but i but it's just like crazy to think that it used to be the way that it was right I mean, the age of progress in clinical therapy but yeah it's just interesting to think about yeah i mean that would make sense he just saw a bunch of people die by the hands of the u.s government these people that he's working for and working with so of course his mood is going to change and olsen was understandably disillusioned disgusted and probably frankly afraid of what he had become a part of and wasn't fully aware to the extent mk ultra had gone and right there has to be some sort of guilt resonating with him at this point because I mean, I'm sure not everyone knew. It was one of those things where they, they were so good about compartmentalizing all these different groups within MKUltra so that no one's like really talking to each other or getting the full big picture of what's actually going on. So he was one of the few people that actually got that like inside look into what his work was doing. And I'm sure that probably scared the shit out of him. Yeah. There are reports to show that Olsen visited with a man called William Sargent shortly afterwards, and he is a British psychiatrist with high level of security clearances. From Sargent's visit with Olsen, he decided that Olsen had become a security threat and his access to MKUltra should be limited. So Sargent wrote in his report that Olsen was, quote, deeply disturbed over what he had seen in CIA safe houses in Germany and displayed symptoms of not wanting to keep secret what he had witnessed. And he ends the report saying, there were common interests we need to protect. So this report, he sends directly to all the high up, higher ups in the CIA. I mean, so much for confidentiality, <laughs> like pa patient provider confidentiality just thrown out the window. And this was the reason for these intensified interrogations the U.S. government was so afraid that people would spill the beans about what they were doing, including the people they experimented on, that, you know, I think this is what's happening. I feel like I got drugged with LSD. Did you get drugged with LSD? Yeah, I think I did, too. Like, there's something bigger going on, that type of thing, right? Just keeping in mind, like, Olsen is in such a high position. He was a huge threat to just waiting to happen. And he had inside information on MK Ultra, what they were doing with it and their intentions. So huge, huge liability risk right there. Okay, so fast forward a couple days. They decide to do this weird company retreat. Some, they, they're like, okay, let's just 
grab the guys and let's have a ball. So they get go to this retreat in a cabin. It's called Deep Creek Lake, and I believe it's in Maryland. And they go for this retreat from November 18th to the 20th in 1953. 11 people total were invited to this retreat starting Wednesday to Friday. And of the 11 people, some of the names that were included is our very own Dr. Frank Olson, who was now known to all as a security risk. And our notorious friend from last episode, Sidney Gottlieb, who as a professor is the main guy. MK Ultra is his brainchild, that is his baby. He is responsible for the entire project. And the rest were like a smattering of high up officials working on MK Ultra. So everyone here is working on MKUltra. So Wednesday, very uneventful, nothing happens. Thursday evening after dinner, they're like hanging out. They're, they're feeling good. They just had their dinner. They all gather in the room. I'm like imagining, you know, wood paneling, yeah. uh, velvet furniture, and like maybe like a moose on the wall, something like that. And a fire is roaring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, yeah. the fire is roaring and there's a bunch of yes, yes. cigar smoke in the air. Puffing their cigars. Exactly. exactly mostly white exactly. dudes. Probably all white guys. <laughs> yeah. All white dudes. All white dudes. And basically all... All you need to top off the scene is a nice Uh, drink uh. in your hand. So that's exactly what happens. A guy by the name of Lashbrook, that's his last name, he's Gottlieb's deputy, his right-hand man. So he pours everyone a round of drinks from a bottle of Contro, I think is how you say it. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, Contro. Um, clearly, I have drank that. And so he pours everyone around. Everyone's drinking. They're like merry, merry men. And then after about 20 minutes, Gottlieb's like, hey, you guys feeling funny or what? Oh, my God, no. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> and everyone's like, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then he's he, he, of course, tells everyone, he's like, yeah, I spiked your drinks with some truth serum, or as we know it, LSD. Let me just whip out the electrotherapy while I'm at it, too. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Behind door number two. (laughs) But yeah, of course, this was not met with any kind of enthusiasm whatsoever. And Olsen was, in particular, very upset about it. He got agitated, understandably, had a difficult time separating reality from fantasy, and it was extremely frightening for him. After this retreat, he comes back again in like an even more depressed and dark mood, according to his wife. And the night he came back from the retreat, he confides to his... I, I have written down he confides to his mom. He definitely did not confide to his mom. <laughs> <laughs> he confides to his wife. I mean... <laughs> what, what, okay. What? He okay. could have. He could have. Yeah. No, I'm like, I'm like, maybe he just had a very close relationship. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mom, I was spiked. They're not my friends. I'm sorry. I shouldn't shame the deceased, <laughs> oh, I guess. No, no, no. It's my mistake. Okay. So he confides to his wife that he had made, quote, a terrible mistake at the retreat and that they all laughed at him. Here's the thing. <laughs> sorry. Like, I'm laughing too. But okay. Anyway, continue. Continue. I, I, I'm assuming he's still out of oh, it. Okay. If that yes, makes sense. Yes, yes. Like, I think he's still right. like under the effects and is probably not able to, like, I don't know, just like have normal thought processes right now. Right. And maybe there's a perception that while he's on the drug or truth serum, that there's a perception that his peers think he's mm-hmm, inadequate mm-hmm. and all these thoughts are yeah. brewing. Yeah. Right. You feel way more exposed for sure. Right. I tried to do some digging on what exactly he had said at the retreat, but I couldn't find any information on that. So yeah, TBD on that one. So so this is where it starts to get a little get out, like oh. the movie, like things start to get a little bit weird. Okay, so the retreat ends Thursday, right? So Olsen is at home on Friday with his family. He spends a whole weekend with his family. Sunday, November 22nd, Olsen and his wife go to the movies and watch a biopic. I never know. Is it biopic or biopic? I don't know. Um, I think it is biopic. Okay. But personally, <laughs> I think biopic sounds so much yeah. better. And I have said it that way my my whole life. And people always correct me and they're like, no, it's biopic. But in my head, I'm like, that sounds like an eye exam. <laughs> Anyways. That is very true. So as we say, you know, pick your poison <laughs> on how you want to say that. Okay. And they go watch a movie about Martin Luther King Jr. and Olson's wife, whose name is Alice. So Alice later remembers saying, quote, we might have made a bad choice of movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't what, know. What does that mean, Alice? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess you can tell me after the fact. But 
Yeah, so that was Sunday. So the next day was Monday morning, November 23rd. Olsen waits for his boss, Colonel Ruit, to arrive. And when his boss does arrive, they discuss the retreat. And he was, because his, his boss was also at the retreat. Mm-hmm. And Ruit shares that, quote, it was the most frightening experience I ever had or hoped to have, unquote. And Olsen shared a very, of course, similar sentiment and was clearly still very rattled from the events and asked Ruit to fire him. He's just basically stressed out. I feel like I made a fool of myself. I feel like people don't trust me anymore. And I also just don't want to be working for this project. And that's more something he's internalizing. I don't think he's really saying that out loud, but you can kind of get the vibe that he's not into what the goings-ons. And so he wants out, basically. So Ruit calms him down and tells him his work is great, that no one thinks any less of him or anything at all of him, really, other than great things, and says, I don't think you should quit. That's too rash right now. Let's just, you know, take it slow. And keep in mind that MK Ultra is one of the government's best kept and deepest mm, secrets. Right. There were barely a dozen people in the world that, that knew about it, even in the CIA. And nine of them were at that retreat. And now one of them is getting cold feet and looking like a loose cannon, right? So it's not looking good for Olsen. And also knew almost all of the MK Ultra special ops secrets. He has pictures of his trips to Germany where the CIA would host these secret interrogations. He was also one of the scientists present in France on August 16, 1951, when an entire French village was overcome with mass hysteria that affected more than 200 residents. And it was all traced back to that ergot poisoning, which is the fungus that LSD is derived from. So those that knew Olsen also described him as being very honest and not scared to say the truth. Those are the exact qualities that the CIA does not want (laughs) in an Mm, agent. So, you know, just like this perfect storm, his qualities right here. After their meeting, Ruet tells Gottlieb that, again, Sidney Gottlieb, the head of MKUltra, that Olsen still seems to be disoriented from the LSD. So Gottlieb meets with Olsen, who comes to the same conclusion that, yeah, he still seems to be under these effects, and decides that Olsen should see a psychiatrist in New York by the name of Dr. Harold Abramson. Literally two hours later, Olsen calls his wife, sounding very relieved. He tells her that his boss says, I did make a mistake, everything is fine, I'm not going to resign. Like, he seems very elated about it, like, huge weight lifted off his shoulders. All good, all good, right? Clearly, clearly, it will not end that way. Now we're on... (laughs) So now, that was Monday, so now we're on Tuesday. Tuesday, November 24th. Olsen goes to work, as he normally does, but comes home unexpectedly before noon, accompanied by a man called Dr. Joseph Stubbs. And Joseph Stubbs was also at the retreat and is a personnel at Fort Detrick. Olsen explains to his wife that Dr. Stubbs and others are afraid I might hurt you, referring to Olsen possibly hurting his wife. Does he... Do do you know if he has a history of domestic <clears throat> violence or abuse? Um, That is a good question, but from the things I have read, the vibe you get from the wife is it was all out of the blue. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. it was like very bizarre. It's like very 180 switch in her husband type of okay. thing. Yeah, I would assume no, but yeah, I'm not for certain. And so he tells his wife that he's agreed to undergo psychiatric treatment with someone who has equal security clearance as him so that he's able to speak freely. Who is this Dr. Apeson in New York? So really, really bizarre turn of events. So... Now, the same day, they don't even waste any time. Like, it's same day on Tuesday, him, his boss, Ruit, and the CIA guy, Lashbrook, who is the deputy to Gottlieb, they all fly to New York City. In New York, Olson and Lashbrook meet with this psychiatrist, Dr. Harold Abramson. He was actually, he's a CIA affiliate, of course, and he actually worked with Olson for many years prior on his aerosolization of anthrax, which is was one of Olson's first projects Ooh, in the CIA. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Aerosolization of anthrax. He actually hmm. worked on a lot of interesting stuff. When I say interesting, like very like toxic shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Him and Abramson talk through a lot of his fears and his worries. Together, they kind of come up with this plan that Olsen should voluntarily commit himself to a psychiatric clinic just to, like, heal himself and just take a break from everything, which seems reasonable. 
And even later that day at dinner, Olsen was so relieved again. And he's, he was like even talking at dinner how he's looking forward to his stay at the clinic. He talks about the books he's going to read. And just like it was almost as if he was like back to his old self just for like a minute. Right. And he's telling this all to Lashbrook, the deputy. Lashbrook and Olsen are staying at this hotel in New York City, like in Manhattan. And I don't know why, but they share a room. They share like they have like their own like beds, obviously, <laughs> but they they're sharing a room. You know, you know, budgets <laughs> budgets tight in the Cold War, and so so they both go back to their shared room. This is a weird anecdote, but Olson washes his socks in the sink, watched some TV, and went to sleep. Very interesting. Wonder why that was kept. Hmm. <laughs> I guess that was just a thing. That was just something he did. I have to say, I was like, I would be that person who was too lazy to wash <laughs> anything the same day I wear it. Like that's that just not me. <laughs> So, you know, I have nothing to point fingers at right now. Anyways, like I said, washes his socks, watch some TV, and goes to sleep. 2 a.m. that same morning, Olsen plummets to his death onto a sidewalk in front of the Statler Hotel in New York City. Oh, Lord. Just like that. He I falls mean, what other way? Onto the pavement. I know. Okay? I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't <laughs> but laugh. Olsen is still fucking alive. No. He is still alive uh. after falling from 10 floors, oh okay? My God. And the night manager rushes over to him to obviously see if he can help or whatever. And Olsen tries to mumble something to him, but dies before medical help could arrive. Like, this is like, you can't make this shit up. This is like movie, like a movie script. Like, it just blows my mind. Literally, last breath could be the hint <laughs> as to why he fell out the window. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, out of his hotel balcony. And then even years later, the night manager recalls that, quote, in all my years in the hotel business, I never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoids two beds, and dives through a closed window with the shade and curtains drawn. So obviously implying there's some shady shit going on. This story does not add up whatsoever. And remember, Lashbrook is sharing a room with Olsen in the hotel. So once they found Olsen's body, the police go up to the room and they find Lashbrook on the toilet with his head in his hands, like asleep, apparently unaware that Olsen had jumped his death. Like, what? So bizarre. Very like, bizarre. I'm just trying to think, like, obviously he was all in on it, but if you're trying to feign any kind of involvement, why not just be fucking asleep in your bed? Mm, right. Like, why do you got to be on the toilet? Right. Like, it's so why weird. the toilet? Right. Yeah. If the implication is that Lashbrook is the reason why Olsen jumped, mm -hmm. maybe Lashbrook was like, oh, man, no one would suspect someone who's in their most vulnerable element, which would be like being on the <laughs> toilet. So I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. Anyways. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, that's a good point about the vulnerability aspect. Vulnerability. Yep. That, that word. But yeah. So I have no clue on that one. Kind of like what I was saying, the night manager, not at all comfortable with what was going on. On a hunch, he goes down to the switchboard and asks if there's any calls that went through over the last day to that room. Like, bless this guy's soul. Like, he's the only one doing God's work over here. Like, <laughs> damn. And in fact, there was. The hotel switchboard operator says they connected a call from room 1018A, which is the room that belonged to Lashbrook and Olson. It connected to a number that belonged to Dr. Harold Abramson, who is the, the psychiatrist. The operator eavesdrops on the call, bless her heart, even though she's not supposed to. I mean, who wouldn't? If you were an operator <laughs> in the old days, I'm sure so many of them eavesdrop. Right, right. They are the original NSA. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that an operator works is they don't, don't they technically have to be on the call because they have to know like when to connect you and when to drop the call, right? Right. At least I think I'll have to look into that. Yeah. But I think regardless, yeah. once you connect with someone, you can still stay on the line with the third party who's connected. Mm -hmm. And I think it's up to the operator to essentially leave that call oh. once they connect that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I do not know. I just think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. She she eavesdropped. And so the operator overheard the person in room 1018A say, quote, well, he's gone. To which the person on the other line said, well, that's too bad. Whoa. So Abramson said that's too bad? Yes, yes. So Lashbrook calls and says, well, he's gone. And then Abramson says, well, that's too bad. Oh. And so the company line 
was that Olsen threw himself out the window of the 10th floor of his hotel and died shortly after impact. And that's exactly what they told Olsen's wife and the family. And they didn't object when the CIA, the company her husband worked for, suggests that they don't view the body due to its condition from the fall, you know, to spare her any like ill memories and things like that. And per their recommendation, should should do a closed casket ceremony, which is exactly what happened. Right. And technically, that's where the case should have ended in the eyes of the CIA. For obvious reasons, they didn't want the family prying into it because I'm sure they would have want, wanted to ask for a formal autopsy of their own and not an autopsy that the CIA kind of expedited, right? So that all didn't happen. It went to plan in, in the eyes of the CIA. Olson's poor family really had no closure or real understanding of why their husband, father, or son would commit suicide completely out of the blue. They told family and friends that he had suffered a fatal nervous breakdown that led to the fall, but the truth was the family really had no idea of the specific details surrounding his death until the Rockefeller Commission came into effect in 1975. And these are one of the commissions that was created at the end of MK Ultra to basically make sure these types of organizations don't ever happen again in the CIA. And so Keep in mind, this is 1975. Well, Frank Olson died in 1953, so it took a while for anything to even happen. And so the commission uncovered the CIA's MKUltra activities. In that year, the government admitted that Olson had been dosed with LSD without his knowledge nine days before his death, which I believe they're referring to the retreat. And naturally, the family sues the CIA for Olson's wrongful death, and subsequently, the government offers them an out-of-court settlement of $1.25 million that was later reduced to 750000 which they accepted. So I don't really know like why that happened exactly. I don't know why it went from a higher number to a lower number, which then the family accepted. But first of all, isn't this the American people's money that the government is using? Right. Our taxpayer dollars that... In a way, because... Because you're mentioning how our taxpayer dollars essentially went to the dismantling of MK Ultra, Is that what you're mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, that is so tame compared to what we're living through oh now. Oh, my God. Right? So tame. Like, agreed. And yeah, so I, I'm just thinking like taxpayer dollars are being used. It's basically used by the government to wipe the blood off their hands for their crimes and these deeds. And I don't know what happened in the interim that caused the offer to be reduced down to that 750000 but I'm assuming the family must have given some sort of pushback and the government was just not amenable to that. They're like, you know, take what you're going to take because this is our final offer. President Gerald Ford is president in 1975, and so he personally apologizes to the family as well as the then CIA director, William Colby, which, again, is frustrating because these are not the people technically responsible during the initiation and the entire duration of MKUltra. It's just as the job goes, they are apologizing on behalf of their former predecessor's mistakes. You know, you are in the position now, you take the fall type of thing. And maybe they have some ties to it and they knew about it that I'm not aware of. But that's kind of my thought process on that. So now we're jumping to 1990s, specifically 1994 through 1996. In 1994, Eric Olson, who is Frank Olson's son, exhumes his dad's body so that he could be buried with his mother. At the same time, the family decides to do a formal autopsy, which presumably wasn't done in full at the time of his death in 1953. Right, right. The medical report in 1953 was done immediately after Olson's death and showed cuts and abrasions on the body that might have been consistent with a fall that he suffered. And since Olson's death, there were obvious rumors coming up that Olson was assassinated by the CIA, and that led the family to want to get this second autopsy. Mm-hmm. So a professor at George Washington University National Law Center with a degree in forensic science performs autopsy with his team. The team searches all over the body for these cuts and abrasions that the first autopsy found, but doesn't find a single one. Instead, they find a large hematoma on the left side of Olsen's head and a large injury on his chest, indicative of blunt force trauma. And it was determined that these injuries were not due to the fall. In fact, the evidence suggests that these injuries happened before the fall. Mm. Yeah. 
the team was conclusive in their findings that it was starkly suggestive of homicide. Oh, my God. So two years later, in 1996, the son, Eric, bless him, gets in contact with U.S. District Attorney in Manhattan, Robert Morgenthau, to see if he would be willing to open a new investigation. So the office's cold case department starts to collect preliminary evidence, including a deposition of Lashbrook, but ultimately decide there's not enough to send to a grand jury. But... Eric doesn't stop there. He continues on for the next decade to clear his father's name. Wow. Dang. And in 2001, a Canadian historian writes for the New York Times magazine that Frank Olson's death was a method used time and time again and written in the CIA first manual of assassination, saying, quote, the most efficient accident in simple assassination is a fall of 75 feet or more onto a hard surface, which is exactly Exactly the method that was used for Frank Olson. It's just so sad. Yeah. I'm just like, do you think that, I mean, it's got to still happen to this day? Oh, yeah. 100%. We just off our own people. You know, that's scary to think about. <sighs> yeah, it is super scary. And I feel like there is a sense of nationalism. Like looking at the time, I'm sure everyone's looking at everyone as an enemy. Their the sentiment is like there's no true patriots around anymore in this time. But really, it's just the paranoia, you know, like you're offing your own good people. And right, right. So what does that leave you with? Like, who are you? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's all kinds of fucked up. But anyway, so fast forward to semi recently, like 2012, 2013, November 28th, 2012, which is exactly 59 years to the day of his father's death anniversary, Eric and the other son, Niels Olsen, filed a lawsuit with the U.S. District Court in D.C. seeking compensatory damages as well as access to any other documents related to their father's death that may have been withheld by them from the CIA. But this, again, is dismissed by the court. So now I'm kind of thinking, like, are they getting orders from up high to kind of, you know, fizzle out any further investigation? Like, is the CIA telling these courts, do not let them look further into this? I, I, I really have no idea. Or just that's just me playing devil's advocate. Or, you know, there really isn't enough information to to move forward with this because the CIA also did a really good job of covering their tracks and getting rid of any kind of evidence. So it could go either way. Now the question really is, like, what actually happened that night on November 28th, 1953? Right. So very simply, there are Secret Service agents specialized in quick, efficient cleanups of these exact secret messages. Yeah. And that person was the head of Office of Security named, and he's named in these internal reports as just Agent James McSee. And it's later revealed the agent is Agent James McCord. Okay. He single-handedly directed the entire cover-up of Frank Olson's death. He, like, directed it like a Shakespeare play. And side note, just so you know the kind of man we're dealing with here, James McCord would go on to be just a footnote in U.S. history as one of the Watergate burglars. Wow. He's got a whole track record. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is definitely not beneath him, let's just say. Right. So this should have been the point where the CIA and the people of MK Ultra stop and think about the work that they're doing with MK Ultra because it literally killed one of their own, right? But no, they proceed as if his death doesn't even happen. So that's kind of where you realize or kind of have this aha moment of they're not really doing this to have some kind of higher cause or higher goal. It's just mm, like very tunnel right. vision of like, we're, we're going to stop at nothing, blah, 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 blah. So nothing really good is coming out of this. Okay. Just to sort of wrap things up, this is a very unsatisfactory ending and hence why one of the sources was unsolved mysteries wiki but yeah this is this is an unsolved case of frank olson's murder however the only reason why it's unsolved because the government will not confirm any of these cases or what actually happened because of course that would be hugely incriminating on their part like i said their company line as far as they're willing to admit is that yes we did give him lsd as part of this horrible horrible project called mk ultra and they're blaming it on that. He was still disillusioned. It like caused him to be psychiatrically unstable and caused him to fly off a building or something like that. So that's kind of their story with that. But it is widely reported and widely stated in many, many a piece. If you just do a quick Google search, everyone knows like he was killed and for this such and such reason. Absolutely. 
I wonder, like, when these situations happens, when it's so evidently clear that it's mm-hmm. homicide, I wonder why they just don't, you know, just admit it. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, time has passed and it makes me think, like, what is the time length or time stamp on these cover-ups right. to eventually... Where, like, so much time has passed that descendants upon descendants, mm-hmm. multiple generations have already come and gone. Right. It's like, how long yeah. do you plan to just lie about this? Yeah. And and I guess this is pretty fresh in a sense that if his body was exhumed in the 90s, that's actually very contemporary. Yes. So in my head, I'm like, hmm, let's keep an eye on this story in the next 20 <laughs> right. years, 20 more years to see if they come just straight out with the truth. But it's yeah. one of those things where also it's like, does anyone actually care in the next 20 years? Because mm-hmm. Frank Olson, and this is, you know, this is my first time hearing about this story. And yeah. also because yeah. I'm not like a conspiracy theorist or anything. I'm sure maybe it's a very well-known story amongst those circles and people who know about MK Ultra versus me who like watches reality TV <laughs> and just nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and just does not keep abreast of US conspiracy theories. Yeah. But I'm I'm honestly thinking like the general US population wouldn't care. So I'm just curious as to why the US mm-hmm. government or CIA still finds the need to keep this secret. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, it it means the world to the family of the Olsons to have that justification to clear up the dad's name, like just like the son was doing. It's like they basically are defaming his character and his memory by saying he went crazy or something from the LSD and like killed himself. Right. I mean, I, I it just it's just so sad. Like thinking about yeah. just literally that day's events, how he was so willing to work on himself and hopeful for the future and they just off him yeah Yeah. anyways so just to quickly wrap up like i said i find the story so heartbreaking and intriguing at the same time again a lot of these stories that we say are super dark and if we laugh from time to time on this series like we're not making light of the family or the situations or people involved it's just you know how ludicrous the situation is it's just crazy how these people can just get away with things it's it's just so heartbreaking but if you are interested in learning more and like this story netflix released a documentary miniseries in 2017 called wormwood based on the mystery surrounding Ulsa's death. I've not watched it yet, but I have only heard really amazing things about it. So it's definitely next on my to-do list to watch. I'll have to check that out too. Yeah, I've... It's so interesting. I actually just listened to another podcast that referenced Wormwood and I was like, I didn't even know what it was. And then it just happened to be I did the story and I was like, oh, that's awesome. So yeah, definitely going to check that out. And in this docuseries, a journalist by the name of Seymour Hirsch, he firmly states that Frank Olson was a victim of CIA assassination and is part of an ongoing cover-up to this day about his death. However, Hirsch is not able to elaborate further or publish facts as that would compromise his source. So that is the story, the very tragic story of Frank Olson's murder in relation to MK Ultra. When I was doing my story on MK Ultra, and his name kept popping up and I could tell there was a lot more to the story and I didn't want to squeeze it into all one episode. Like I wanted right, to absolutely. do the due diligence yeah. of really fleshing out MK Ultra and then giving Frank Olson like his own his own story. So yeah, that is that. That was great. That yeah. was great. And I'm like, yeah, I think that was the right way to do it because it is so much more when you go into Olson's story. Because it's a whole thing. The fact that it spanned from the 50s through to the 90s, that's significant. That's very significant. And this is not the only story, like for better or for worse. There are so many other stories out there of just people showing up in a daze after like committing crimes and not even realizing they had committed it because they are just under this constant daze and hallucination from being drugged with LSD consistently for so many days on end you know these had lasting impacts on these people so yeah yeah, it it is a big deal in our u.s history absolutely anyways all right we can wrap this shit up on an antidote yeah i'll go first my antidote will be short and sweet today which is a rarity i know (laughs) my antidote is that i just adopted a kitten yes and you all 
perhaps maybe hear some of her meowing in the background mm-hmm. of this episode. And that in itself is quite rewarding because it's cool yeah. to adopt and have a new little fur baby in the house. Mm-hmm. But I think what's an added antidote is that when we brought her in today, she was incredibly shy mm-hmm. and immediately ran out of the couch, blah, 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 <laughs> as shy cats do. But within the day, she's gotten much more comfortable and as I talk she's literally right by my side and being so snuggly and sweet (laughs) so I was actually very worried that this was actually going to be one of those kittens that we'd have to be very patient with Mm-hmm. But she's really turned around within Very quickly, just a yeah. few hours. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, adopt, don't shop, guys. Yeah, adopt, don't shop. If you're feeling you need a fur baby and you know that you can take care of them and have the means to take care of them, go for it. Mm-hmm. They need homes. No better time than now with COVID and everything. Can, Absolutely. Everyone's at home. Absolutely. So adopt. Adopt a pet, guys. Okay. My <laughs> antidote yeah. is a little on brand for this week's episode and Mm -hmm. last week's episode. This is something I've actually never talked about before, Mm -hmm. but I think it's very, very important. It's all about mental health. So my antidote of the week is I had my first therapy session last Monday or this Monday. Yeah, it was this Monday. I've never done therapy before and I don't know if other people can relate out there, but I've always been the kind of person who, and Megan, you can probably attest to this, but I've always been the kind of person that if I had any issues or any problems, I always kind of just internalized it and like tried to solve it on my Mm -hmm. own. I was never the person to tell other people about my problems. Other people have their own shit on their plates, that kind of thing. And I was like, you know, I don't think that I'm at a point in my life where I should be trying to figure out everything on my own. Let me just give this a try. It was so helpful for me to reframe some of these negative things in your life or these, you know, anxiety-ridden things in your life and reframe it into a good perspective for you to see how to move forward. That is my antidote of the week, considering we're talking about a lot of mental health with LSD and all that stuff. So yeah, that is mine. No, that's awesome. (laughs) And I am so honored that you shared with me and Mm -hmm. our listeners. And I think that's really, really great. That's super great. I definitely relate to that mindset of kind of internalizing and (laughs) thinking that I'm a self-fixer, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I don't know what else to say. (laughs) I'm just very, very happy for you, Harini. And I think that's really beautiful. And it honestly inspires me to seek out therapy as well, because I will tell you, many people have Mm, told me that therapy is incredibly helpful and have highly suggested it. And I think that maybe maybe you can speak on this, Harini, that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know us and I know our upbringings. And maybe there's an element to the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, we were brought up in a reality privilege setting. Yeah. Middle class yeah. with parents who both went to college, et cetera, et cetera. We both have the privilege of going to undergrad. Yeah. And I think maybe that there is an internalized notion of like, why should I need therapy when everything's been given to me? So I think that maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I no, yeah. no, completely agree. Agreed. But I, I think that's what happens to people who tend to internalize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they're just like, really, in the grand scheme of things, my issues are small. But small issues can compound themselves and become big issues and so so awesome harini i'm so happy you shared that yes yes i'm happy to share and like just to comment on what you had just said i 100 resonate with that so hard because that's exactly how i felt in that sense it's kind of like you have to keep your head down and figure out your problems and just trudge forward But I started to realize that's not the most healthy mindset because that's invalidating my problems and invalidating my feelings and whatever is actually going on with me. There's going to always be someone who has bigger problems than you. There's always going to be someone who has objectively a harder life than you. But all that matters is that you're the person that has to live this life. And if you're struggling with it or you're not happy, or even if you're having an amazing life, but you just want to self-improve, you know, it can even be about that. Like I'm in a great place right now and I want to get to even a better place. Therapy can be great for that too. So it's just, it's not just for people who are struggling so you know quote unquote whatever that means to you it can be for anything that you you want it to be yeah definitely give it a go if you're curious and if you don't like it you can always drop it and that's my that is my two cents that is my what do you call what do they call it my armchair therapy advice yeah awesome (laughs) 
Thank you, guys. That was another very fun episode for us to record. Yes. Thank you for bringing us two besties together again. And we will see you back next week. Yes, we will. So don't risk it for that cover up biscuit. <laughs> oh, good one. I like it. I like it. We're, we're going to go with it. We're going to okay. go with it. We're going with it. I'm cool, into cool, it. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Cool. We'll see you next week. All right. Goodbye. Peace. Peace.